Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. The Old Testament lesson this morning uh, comes from the book of Isaiah. Let us listen that we may hear what God will say. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for all who mourn in Zion to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display His glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For the Lord loves justice. The Lord hates robbery and wrongdoing. The Lord will faithfully give them their recompense and will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be made known to the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. In my whole being exalt my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation and covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. The Word of the Lord. The second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. Let us listen that we may hear what God will say. In those days, a decree went out from the Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Scripture tells us a lot, but sometimes there are corners in the Scripture readings that hold out possibilities. In this story of the birth of Jesus, which is so familiar, in this story there are some corners. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's start with what the story says, what the Scripture says. It says that a census is to be taken. 
they call it registration in this translation, but an enrollment in the King James Version. There was a head count going on. We know that. And it says that Joseph was of the house and lineage of David in the King James Version. He was of the family of David, and so he went to the family home for registration, though he himself and several generations before had not lived there. So they traveled some 70 to 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And it says that Mary was with child and that she was to give birth. Is there a donkey in the story? No? But you have to wonder, how do they get from Nazareth to Bethlehem? How do you travel 70 miles without a car? You walk. You ride a donkey, maybe. You ride a cart. But there's no donkey in the story. Exactly. How did they, what did they take with them? How long did it take? It, it wouldn't have been, for us, 70 to 80 miles. We can do that in a little more than an hour, right? Depending on how fast you drive, of course. But it would have taken several days. How did they make their way? And then, what about this inn? It wasn't exactly the Holiday Inn or the Comfort Inn. It was probably most likely just a room in somebody's house, maybe more akin to Airbnb than something like we would think of as a hotel or motel. And there isn't an innkeeper that's named. But there had to be somebody for whom provided this room. There are places and possibilities to think about these other aspects of this powerful revelation. The Advent wreath lighting today uses the reality that we can look into the corners of the story and we can hear good news. The Scripture can be amplified by what we understand. Tamar, described as the wife of the innkeeper, though not named as that, but in our own play, can be described as the wife of the innkeeper, and she provided testimony to what was seen and heard, maybe filled in some of those blank spaces. The birth of the child is always a precious moment, she said, but there was a magic hour in our stable that evening. The smile of the new mother as she nursed her child brought tears to my eyes. I found myself washed over by a sensation too powerful to contain. It was as if the mystery of God's love for this world, for Bethlehem, for this mother, for this child, and even for me consumed all of us inside that little building. In that moment, I knew, no, even more, I felt the roots of my soul that God still loves me, simple, heathen me. I was allowed to share the birth of a new baby. This was more than just the act of 
of renewing itself in my stable, here somehow was the presence of God reminding me that love never escapes us. Love never leaves us alone. Love never escapes us. Love never leaves us alone. This character who came to visit us today testifies to God's love in the moment of that birth that transformed her and the world around her. Frederick Buechner is a author, theologian, Presbyterian minister, and he has written a tale, a different tale than the one we heard this morning, but he has written a tale told by the innkeeper. And the innkeeper in his tale is a character who is trying to make a living. After all, why would you want to invite people into your home or your place of business unless you were trying to find a way to make and provide for yourself and for your family? And that is what he was doing, according to Beekner's innkeeper. And because of that, he was distracted. He saw this couple come in. He describes them as being clumsy and not very, not very articulate. He had seen others like them. He let them in because they didn't have any place else to go, and he put them out in the stable, and he went on about his business. But then the innkeeper says he missed something. He missed something important. And he describes it this way. But I know this, my tr own true love, all your, life all your life long you wait for your own true love to come. We all do. Our destiny, our joy, our heart's desire. So how am I to say it? When he came, I missed him. Beekner's innkeeper missed him. These are two different tales, voices that are not identified specifically in Scripture, but which we can hear in our own experience. Two voices that come to us. All of us have moments when we encounter something deep and profound and moving in our lives. There are moments when we are overwhelmed with tears. Sometimes they are tears of joy, sometimes happiness, sometimes weeping. We know that they are moving within us, and yet those tears can be elusive and confusing. Incarnation is the testimony that God comes into our world. No, it's God's world. God created the world. But incarnation is the testimony that God comes into this world, God's world, in human form. God has been there always, and God will always be there. The story of Jesus' birth is that God comes into this world to move through creation and to restore what has been lost. 
We live in a world where there, is, there are a lot of things that have been lost. An important part of the Christian faith is the story that we have lost these things. And we seek ways to restore what has been lost, to regain what has been lost, to put the pieces back together again. Sometimes we seek to put the pieces together again by seeking out substances or distractions. Our brains become wired for stimuli. We seek addictions and we hold on to them and and things attach to our spirits and to our bodies in ways that are not healthy or helpful. There is a downward cycle sometimes, a tyranny, a tyranny of our emotions and of our attractions. Sometimes we seek to restore God's creation by taking on the role of God. We set behaviors and limits and we demand that other people adhere to what we know God wants. And when we do that, we descend into another kind of tyranny, a tyranny of hubris and arrogance. Both of these ways, in any other way, both of these ways are ways of trying to restore what we understand has been lost within ourselves and within the world. We need to be healed. We need to be restored. Sin is what happens when the good gifts that God has given us that are meant for the well-being of God's creation fall away, and we use them to feed our cravings that take us away from the light of the wonder of life, from the grace of simple goodness, and from the mercy of sharing. We take all of those things away and we descend into a darkness of the soul, a fear of anything that is different, an oppression of others. That is the world we live in, and we are seeking desperately to find the way out of it. So we come to prepare to celebrate the birth of this child, this child who offered us a different way of living. This child will grow up and will lead us to light and to life. This child will grow up and march with confidence to defeat the power of death. It is not simply the death of the body that he seeks to defeat. It is the death that cuts life short, that gives us the wrong reasons to live. It is the death that makes us live life without thanksgiving. It is the death of our spirit as well as the death of our body. And this one came to live and to rise up and to march into the gates of hell to defeat that power of death. We see and we learn about these encounters in different times and places, not only in the gospel stories, but also in those stories from the edge, from those that are there like the innkeeper's wife and the innkeeper. Each of us has our own encounters with this new life breaking into the world at unexpected times. 
You all have that story, or you have encountered it. Or if you have not, I pray that you will soon. Let me tell you one story where I encountered it. I have shared this before, so I hope it does not wear on you. But for me, it was a story of the moment of clarity and power. It was a moment where I comprehended God's love as I never had comprehended God's love before. When I, was, when I went to seminary, I met a classmate. He, lived, he had lived for a while in Alabama, and he knew that I had gone to Auburn. And so the first thing he said, the, the first thing he said to me was, oh, you're the guy that got his GED from Auburn. It did not go well. We weren't really close. But when you live on a seminary campus, you're always close. You're in classes together. Your kids play together. There's always stuff going on. And so I knew him and his family not well. We didn't have meals together, but we knew each other, and we were in class together, and we were around together. But he got sick. And so even though our campus was divided between people who were very traditional, very conservative, and very liberal, we all kind of found a way to come together. And when people got sick, we prayed for them. In chapel and in our homes and our devotional lives, we prayed for them, and we did. But he kept getting sick and more sick and sicker and sicker and sicker. And finally, the word came back that he had a viral heart infection and that the only treatment that would heal him would be a heart transplant. And so our community prayed for him and for his well-being. But as it is, when you, have, when you need a, an organ transplant, you have to get, you have to progress down the level of um, poor health so that you will rise on the level of transplant need. And so he got sicker and sicker physically, and his need rose and rose and rose. And finally, he was in the hospital, and it was at that critical juncture where if something didn't happen soon, there would be nothing to do. And so he was there, and my phone rang one night in my apartment, and I answered it, and it was a neighbor who said, a number of us are going to the hospital for a visit. Would you like to go? And I said, yes, I will. I went thinking that I would be part of a group of six or seven that were there, that we would go and support our friend, not by visiting him, but by simply being there and speaking to his wife. And she was overwhelmed. She was very appreciative that we were there. And she said, wait a minute, let me go tell him you're here. I know he can't see all of you, but he will want to see somebody, or some of you. And so she went back. She called one of the others who went. He went back and visited for a few minutes. And then she came back and she said, Joel, he wants to see you. What? Why me? Why me? But I went back, 
And, and he was connected, as, as people are in coronary care units, intensive care units. There were tubes, and there were monitors, and there were sounds, and there were beeps. Many of you know that by being there or having family there or all that things that we hear. There was all that there, and we were there, and we, we spoke. What's going on? What's happening? What's the progress? What's the next step? How, how are the children? All of those things. What's the possibility? Surgery, recovery, new life. What's out there? And then after a few minutes, we prayed. We prayed for the success of a medical treatment, and we prayed that a heart would be found for a transplant. It was in that moment that I realized that while we were praying for a new heart to become available for my friend, we were also praying that someone else would die. For that was the only way that he would receive a new heart. I prayed that prayer. And from time to time, since that time, I have prayed that prayer again for other people. It is a somber prayer to pray, but it is a prayer that is offered in love. Here, somehow, was the presence of God, reminding me that love never escapes us. Love never leaves us alone. Love never leaves us alone. May God's love come to you in this season as we look to the birth of a child who came to show us and to be for us the way of love. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.